Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and by Shuerton Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When you live in a city and you travel around it a lot, you often pass by businesses and institutions and don't give them much of a second thought. Sometimes you even use these places as landmarks. For example, if you're uptown, heading toward the river on Carrollton Avenue, you might take a left at St. Charles Vision. It's the brick building with the big yellow eyeglasses outside. Even though the business appears to be named after the avenue, it was actually started by another Charles, who is, to the best of my knowledge, not a saint. He is Dr. Charlie Glazer, and St. Charles Vision on St. Charles Avenue is one of the six St. Charles Vision locations across New Orleans. Charlie Glazer, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And if you're downtown in the French Quarter, there's another institution that I know you're familiar with because it blankets the entire French Quarter three times a day. It's the sound of the steam-powered calliope on the riverboat Natchez. If you follow the sound to the source and look up on the deck of the Natchez, you can see the person playing the calliope is a woman. Her name is Debbie Fagnano. Debbie, welcome out to lunch. Thank you so much for having us. Now, Debbie, I want to start with you. Bars and restaurants typically hire musicians to lure customers inside and then sell them food and drinks. The musicians get paid, so it's a happily symbiotic relationship. Your role as musician takes this concept to a new level. Your concerts on the top deck of the Natchez can be heard literally for miles by thousands of people. In the past 12 months, probably more people have heard you live than have heard you too. You're part of the soundtrack of the French Quarter. You're both a celebrity and an audio billboard. What's it like from your vantage point? Are you playing for people on the boat or the moonwalk, or are you conscious of a wider audience throughout the French Quarter? All of the above. All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I like when I'm playing, I look out uh, onto the dock, and I see passengers waiting to come on to the boat and uh, families with their children. I get pointed at a lot. You know, people, <laughs> when they finally realize where the sound's coming from, they'll point up, oh, that's what it is. You know, And I know people that w live and work in the quarter can hear it every day, three times a day. So I play a variety of music. And people, That's what I was going to ask you. Are there, uh, yes. How many different songs do you have in your repertoire? Hundreds. Hundreds. Mm -hmm. You like Hundreds. Uh, Preservation Hall where you have to pay extra to get when the Saints come marching in? It's all in free. All free, okay, it's that's right. <laughs> do you play when the Saints come marching in? Regularly. <laughs> now, do you, I assume you were a calliope major in school. Um, um, yes, I took calliope 101 <laughs> up, up in New Jersey. No. <laughs> no. And, and they had yeah. a steamboat <laughs> just I for yeah, university. Just <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you must have been a, are you a pianist? I'm a professional musician, yes. I play piano and organ. And the steam calliope is much like playing a, a pipe organ in church, except instead of pressurized air creating the sound, it's pressurized steam, kind of like a whistling teapot. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Can On a major scale. <laughs> do, you have, uh, do you have other gigs? 
yes, I'm the music director, choir director, organist at Our Lady of Perpetual Help Church in Belchase. Oh. And on Friday evenings, I am the pianist, the accompanist for the opera singers at Giovanni's Restaurant in the French Quarter. Wow, that's a full slate. Yes, it is. <laughs> now, Charlie, you have six St. Charles Vision uh, offices around New Orleans. You've grown this chain of stores one at a time, and you've kept them open for 40 years. There's a whole science behind picking a retail location that you know companies like Walgreens and Costco spend a great deal of money on. So it's interesting that when you started out, you opened your first store in Boutique. 40 years ago, presumably, every other location from uptown to the West Bank was equally available. You're a New Orleanian. What made you choose Boutique as the place to launch your business? <laughs> Good question. Well, when I first got out of optometry school, I worked at Auctioner Clinic, and in those days, which is the mid-70s, uh, there were a slew of patients that came from St. Charles Parish, and that's where they had their primary eye care and primary internists and whatever. So, uh, so after working at Oxford for a couple of years, plus I had a brother that had a very successful uh, dental practice. Uh, so the name Glazer was sort of known in St. Charles Parish. So it was a natural. I le left uh, Oxner after a couple of years and had patients at my door the first day I started practice out there. Although, uh, <laughs> after working at, a, at an institution like an Oxner, uh, where we would see 50, 60 patients a day, I realized early on that Booty and St. Charles Parish wasn't going to keep me as busy as I'd like to be. So our next office actually was next to Camille Grill. Uh, That's right. And that it was about a year later. Now you've uh, frankly got a lot of competition in the last few years. You've got Costco, which I assume sells kind of the lower end frames, and then uh, Warby Parker, uh, um, big institutions moved into town. How do you hold your own? You seem to. Well, truthfully, it hasn't been a problem. We, our business has been terrific. Uh, we haven't really noticed a lot of the competition. Uh, we, we, are, we are more than just a, a selling a pair of glasses. Uh, we, we're, we are run, uh, the central part of our whole offices are the doctors. And when you also ask about, you know, adding offices, we've always just, it's been a very organic process for us. And we've added offices as we've gotten good doctors who want to work with patients, who have good personalities, who have good clinical skills. Uh, so that's the way that we have grown. And, uh, and as far as competition is concerned, we're, we're up for it. You know, when you, we're, we're convenient, we're yeah. thorough, we're very high tech, we have a, a lot of skilled employees, our opticians are extremely well trained. Uh, the doctors that work with us are extremely well trained. By the so way, can I ask about those doctors? Are they your employees or are they independent? How does that work? St. Charles Vision is actually owned by three individuals, myself and two other doctors. And then we have three other doctors that are what we call associate doctors, and they work with us. Oh, okay. All right. The, uh, and you know, Debbie, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of minutes here. Do you ever, can you combine what you do? Do you ever think of singing from the top of the uh, ship? No. No. Okay. There's um, <laughs> See, I thought that was really. I was really trying to expand things for you. They, uh, now, Debbie, how did you get your gig on the on the Natchez? Actually, I heard the Calliope when I moved here. Uh, I had actually 
back up a little. Uh, when I came down on vacation, the end of the 1970s, I had heard the Clypey and it sounded interesting. You know, fast forward 1988, I had the opportunity to move here and I heard the Clypey and I contacted Captain Doc Hawley, who was the master captain at the time and who also played the Clypey and told him I might be interested. I had never seen a Clypey or played one, but it just looked like a fun thing to do. So they had somebody full-time, a gentleman, a uh, fantastic musician, Vic Tooker, and he, but he said he'd keep me in mind. Well, the following summer of 1989, uh, Mr. Tooker got ill, and so I was hired in September temporarily on a handshake to fill in, which I did, and uh, Mr. Tooker didn't come back full-time, so I never left. This is like that great story of Lou Gehrig, where Wally Pipp gets a headache and... This yeah. is a game, and the guy plays for 2,100 right. <laughs> right. days in a row. in the right place at the right time, and uh, eventually uh, Mr. Tooker then subbed for me when I wanted to take a day off you know, <laughs> until he moved away. So. Well, Debbie, do you own the boat? Who owns the boat? No, I don't own the boat. I don't own the boat. Um, the, the New Orleans Steamboat Company was actually founded by the Dow family of Lake George, oh. Lake George Steamboat Company, and uh, Mr. Bill Dow is now uh, the owner, along with uh, Gordon Stevens, who's our president and CEO. You know, they're lucky to have got, you imagine putting in a, a wanted, wanted calliope player? That would, no, they never really had would, to do that. No, you'd never get a lot of <laughs> progress <laughs> on that. Debbie did, uh, you play three times a day, 15 minutes a day. Pre-Katrina, you only played twice, right? Yeah, we only uh, played for boarding for the two day cruises. Um, because the, the dinner cruises were pretty well, you know, do, doing okay. The, the calliope draws people to the boat. That was the reason they were first put on steamboats back yes. in the 1850s. And um, after, after the hurricane in 2005, naturally, um, passengers were hard to find. So they asked me if I would play prior to the dinner cruises, which I started doing. And, and it helps. It helps. You know, I'll start playing, and there's a few people on the dock, and by the time I'm done, dock's full. <laughs> Do you ever want to call it a Calliope? No. Like the street. Okay, I know. Never. I'm, obviously, I've hit a nerve there. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, I've already made that mistake. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Greek muse of, uh, yeah. what was she? She was the uh, goddess of song, right? Great. Okay, all right. The muses for 30. There's <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and John, I was thinking if you work with Debbie, she could theme song would be Dr. My Eyes by Jackson Brown. I think <laughs> it is your place. I think that would... I'd, I'd rather do I Only Have Eyes for You. It's a oh, oh, that's a great one. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. My guests are one of New Orleans' literally most prominent musicians, Debbie Fagnano, who plays the calliope on the top deck of the Steamboat Natchez, and Charlie Glazer, founder of the local chain of six optometry stores, St. Charles Vision. You know, Charlie, you mentioned, you know, that you've been doing this a long time. One thing I've noticed as a patient is that technology has evolved probably very dramatically since you started, right? It's been so significant, it's incredible. Uh, every day we have new technology coming up. For instance, nowadays we have the ability to scan what's called the retina, the back portion of the eye. Uh, and when pa patients come in with complaints of seeing flashes of light or seeing spots, we can now have the ability to scan to make sure there's no detachments in the back of the eye. We, uh, we recently have uh, bought into an instrument called an Optos, and it gives you a 200 degree view of what's called the retina, the back portion of the eye. At times, uh, it actually, instead of dilating a, a patient's eyes, we can actually use this instrument and get a beautiful picture of the back of the eye, the retina, uh, and that, therefore they don't necessarily need a dilation. 
Set, and we have, for instance, we have computers now that actually give us a starting point on what, how a pair of glasses, what the prescription is for a pair of glasses. Um, and they can drive home if you haven't <laughs> done that. That's so and they can drive home without a dilated eye, <laughs> get a thorough eye exam. So yes, <laughs> technology in today's world in the optical industry is, is pretty phenomenal. John, we, let me give you a compliment. A lot of people, um, they get to a certain age and they don't want to embrace the new technology. You haven't been like that. Well, I, I want to say it is a very difficult thing and you really have to embrace it. Otherwise, you'll, you'll never institute it into your office and it'll just never happen. Plus, I, I've surrounded myself by some great people who, uh, who understand the technology, who, who work with it every day, some younger doctors, and, uh, and some really good technicians. So we, we do a good job with the technology. And Charlie, what's the difference between an optometrist and an op ophthalmologist? Well, basically the simple answer is that optometrist does everything an ophthalmologist does except for the surgery. So we treat glaucoma, we treat eye infections, red eyes, allergies, you name it. We take foreign bodies out and we do a couple of very simple procedures, but things like, for instance, cataract surgery, retinal surgery, you have to go to an ophthalmologist, an MD, who, uh, who either specializes in cataracts or retinal disorders. Now, Charlie, I got to ask you a question. That is that you get, you're great, you're great with eyes and all of that. How did you get so good at being a business person? I mean, that wasn't your training. I looked, you know, you were a medical guy. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're really, if you're really asking me, my original business model uh, when I opened up next to Camellia Grill. That was my business model. Consistency. Oh, I thought just eating Grill every day. Okay, because in the old days you would go to Camilla Grill and there was Harry and a few other waiters that had been there for a hundred years. And no matter what happens, your same omelet and the same hamburger is going to come out. And I always thought if you could be as consistent as that with every patient that walked in the door and give them a really good experience, then that's our business model. That's, that, that's worth it. Just to know that Camellia Grill was the, was the business model for your company. That is, I love that. Now, I've got some more questions for you, but Charlie and Debbie, it's time for the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. Picture this. You're driving home one night after work and your phone rings. You look at it and you see it's your brother-in-law calling. He usually only calls on Thanksgiving and Christmas to see what time he should show up empty-handed. So this call is out of the blue. He has a proposition for you. Debbie, your brother-in-law says he has a great idea for making you both some money by turning you into a YouTube sensation. He's going to shoot a video of you playing the calliope with a bunch of girls from Larry Flint's Hustler Club dancing around you. It only takes five minutes, and all you have to play is when the saints go marching in. What do you say? I've been on YouTube many times, and I don't need Larry Flint's girls. Okay, all right, all right. There's, <laughs> I was, you know, I was just trying to find employment for people here. It's part of the, uh, all right. Not so, on the and roof you've been of on the YouTube, you're like, uh, you, Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 I Google my name every now and then just to see what's out there. And people who come to the boat, they take videos and then they post them on YouTube. So, yes, I'm, that's there already. So I should tell your brother-in-law you're already famous. Tell him he's uh, too late. <laughs> now, Charlie, your brother-in-law says he's got an idea for a business. It's called Cheapo Frames. And he's thinking maybe y'all could spell cheapo Cajun like E-A-U-X. The, the concept is to have you buy every unfashionable eyeglass frame that nobody can sell and hold on to them until they come back in fashion. When they're hip again, because you got them for next to nothing, you can sell them cheaper than everyone else and still make money. Are you in? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> well, I, I don't think... like sitting a lot of inventory, but it sounds like a great idea. And I guess uh, your brother-in-law is hitting on something there, and that is uh, that fashions change. I mean, you've, you've probably seen... Totally. Even in the last couple of years, you, you see people walking around with the 50s and 60s look. You know, the heavy duty, you know, yeah. JFK type frames and sunglasses and... Yes, that's, that's where it is right now. Do you need to try to figure out, do you need to get ahead of that curve? We are ahead of the curve. All right, we set the curve. Everybody, we feel like everybody behind us uh, follows us. We, we, are, we are the leaders when it comes to fashion and eyewear in, in the city of New Orleans. And uh, you know, I've, when you look at these eyeglasses, they, they, the range in price is really pretty dramatic. What is it that makes um, well, it's, it's the quality of the plastic, it's the hinges, the way that it's built, the way that it's engineered. You put on a really nice, nice, uh, a well-built frame, and it's going to feel like a glove on your face. It rarely will come out of adjustment. Your screws aren't going to come out. The lenses aren't going to be scratched. But then I can't scratched. find that little thing at CVS, the little packet with the <laughs> tiny, tiny screwdriver. You won't need it if you buy your glasses at St. Charles Vision. <laughs> Have uh, you ever thought about making your, your own frames? We've done that before. Uh, we've, we've tried it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story, and I'll tell you real quickly if I can. We started carrying a, a, a frame, an Oliver Peoples frame, many, many years ago, and it was $175, and I'm talking about 20, 25 years ago, and we were selling it like crazy uptown. We opened up an office out in, uh, on Veterans Highway, and we had the frame knocked off and we were selling it for $75, we couldn't give it away. And this was out in Metairie. So the difference between the, the taste of our patients and the, and the frames that they like in Metairie is much different than it is uptown. So we actually vary our frame selection in each office. Wow. Because of that. That was an interesting experiment, though. Yes, it was. It's going to be vertically integrated. They, uh, Debbie, are there other uh, steamboats? Uh, that are operating still? Yes, very few. Not not nearly as many as there used to be. There are, the Belle of Louisville operates on the Ohio, the Ohio River in Louisville, Kentucky. She's the oldest. She's over 100 years old. She being the boat, not the calliope player? We refer to our boats as Oh, yes, she. she's a mistress. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. It's a nice, you know, <laughs> nice gesture. Uh, yeah, and she does have a steam calliope, yes. And then there's a, another vessel on Lake George in New York where the Lake George Steamboat Company is, and they also have uh, steam calliope on theirs. There are other vessels that have calliopes, but they're not steam-powered, they're air-powered. But so it's a rare instrument, and, and a number of circus parades also use calliopes. Oh, yeah, there's a, and so you don't have an association of calliope players that <laughs> get together a in Vegas actually, every year? Actually, uh, a couple of the other calliope players from the Belle of Louisville, and that used to be on the Delta Queen, and uh, the young man, uh, Matt Dow from Lake George, they formed a calliope union. Uh, we have no bylaws, we have no dues, we have no nothing, but we do have a union. So you decided not to join the Teamsters it, it, and actually a, start your It's a your very own, satirical, no, tongue-in-cheek kind of <laughs> organization. Because <laughs> you have to be that sort of person to do this kind of work anyway. Yeah, there, yeah. now that's true, right? Do you, I mean, you're, you have all the training of a traditional musician, but what Correct. is it? It's like a sense of humor? Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun to, to be up there on my little perch on the roof of the boat and look out over the river and watch people come. And um, one little boy commented one time when I passed through the dining room, he said, uh, he's a little toddler, he said, Mommy, that's the lady that makes the clouds sing. 
because oh, you can see the wow. steam. The, the steam yeah. calliope is actually that a form of music gone. that is visual. Yeah. You can see every note comes up in a puff of steam. So that little toddler's words have stuck in my mind all, the, all this time. The lady that makes the clouds sing. Living in New Orleans, there are a lot of eccentricities and idiosyncrasies that we take for granted as part of our daily life and never give a second thought, like naming a chain of eyeglass offices after a Catholic saint who's responsible for inventing the seminary and rocking the city with the original steampunk. It's been great to get a glimpse inside both of your worlds of the iconic Calliope and the ubiquitous St. Charles vision over lunch today. Charlie Glazer, Debbie Fignano, Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been musician Debbie Fignano, best known for her three times daily Calliope concerts on the Steamboat Natchez, and Charlie Glazer, founder and partner of St. Charles Vision. You can find out more about Debbie's music and Charlie's glasses by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday jazz, brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Matthew Ellison. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear more of Mitch's music wherever great jazz is streamed or stolen and at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and yes, Charlie does wear glasses, that's probably what you're thinking, uh, you can find photos of this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business. New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and by Sheward & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas 